DJ and PK is brought to you in part by Zero Res. Put your best foot forward with the Zero Res cleaning before the holiday season. Clean in November, make a food donation to Zero Res, and it'll clean a fourth room for free. Forwards or backwards, Zero Res, it's the right way to clean. Call them at 801-288-9376. Time to welcome in David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst and former BYU linebacker. David, good morning. Good morning. Before we get to the new round of bad news, which we'll get to shortly... Your reflections first on the bad news when you watched the college football selection show and saw BYU 14. How surprised what, were you? What happened? What happened last night? What? Did Why weren't you notified? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you know, Cougar Nation is uh, obviously not happy right now. And, and listen, I think you take the same – I take the same response as, as all the ESPN guys. I mean, everyone, besides obviously the committee – is all baffled at how BYU lands in that 14 spot. I mean, I just uh, it, d- it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you start to break down everyone in front of them. You've got a couple two lost teams in front. Uh, you, of course, got Iowa State directly in front of BYU, and we know uh, how they lost to Louisiana. And you start to run through all these teams, and of course, the committee then makes excuses of of why BYU's at 14, and you start picking into that at that as well, and strength of schedules, and uh, realize that BYU's got a strength schedule similar to some other groups in front of them, and here they are, all the way back at 14, as an undefeated team. So it's, uh, it's baffling. Listen, I feel bad because BYU has done everything that they, they, that they try to do, obviously. I mean, what, what was BYU supposed to do, right? I mean, you had six P5 teams going into this year. They all canceled on you. Uh, and then they left to scrap and, and put games together. All of a sudden, you have a Houston team that says, hey, we can't come to your place anymore. BYU says, listen, you're a good opponent on our schedule. We'll make whatever work. We're coming to you now. We'll we'll go on the road. I mean, who does that, right? Uh, and then you go play Boise State, and you can't control that you knock out their quarterback. Uh, but regardless, you go up there and beat them by 34 points on the blue turf. I mean, it's just what more could BYU do? And I think that's the frustrating thing for BYU fans is uh, they Tom Homo went to bat and, and tried to put together a schedule, put together a schedule. Yeah, it's not the most competitive schedule, but it was, it's a schedule. You still played nine games, which nobody else in the entire country can can say. Uh, and so, you know, you've, you, you've tried to try to put some together, but obviously BYU's best is not good enough, and that's what it basically comes down to. So the idea of playing Cincinnati takes a hit because Cincinnati Temple has been canceled due to the COVID, so maybe they'd have to reschedule that down the line in December. And rather than look at what BYU could have done, what – looking forward is what it's about now they've got to find a way david to find somebody to play that if they beat should give them some some sort of boost even if it's minimal they've got to do it if not once they've got it if not twice they've got to do it once wouldn't you say 100 percent. and i know that tom was eyeing some of these games before the rankings came out last night um, and and then of course the rankings come out and next you know I think he's probably in a little bit of a panic mode this morning. Uh, you know when you look across the landscape, it's interesting. Really, all the the P5 conferences really don't need BYU except for the Pac-12. I mean BYU is ranked higher than any Pac-12 team on that list. And so I, I don't know why the Pac-12. Obviously, we've seen that they can amend their rules on uh, any, any given day. So why not make an exception and? And even if there is an opening and two teams have to be matched up against each other within the conference, uh, I think you still go in and try and lock in a game. And this is what BYU is trying to do with University of Washington. I mean, you saw Kalani, what he said last night, the fact that he wasn't ducking. They weren't trying to board anybody. They tried to make something work with Washington. They just couldn't make it work. And, of course, now we see why 
because everyone could see the smoke where the games are going to be canceled and you're going to have a UW-Utah matchup anyway. So, uh, you know, I, I think for, for the Pac-12's sake and for BYU's sake, you find a way to match up at BYU and Oregon. And you scratch it and just say, listen, uh, regardless of cancellations, whatever, we're going to lock this game in because the Pac-12 is the only conference that needs BYU at this point. All the other conferences have a team ranked higher than BYU in the, in the, play, in the college football playoff rankings. And so you got to find a way to play Oregon or, uh, you know, somebody else on that, uh, USC, whoever it may be, find a way to play BYU because BYU benefits the Pac-12, whereas then BYU doesn't benefit any other conference right now with how these rankings recently came out. So I'm wondering if uh, Tom also needs to call schools where the conference is in good shape, but the school is borderline. A school that's on the verge of getting into a uh, New Year's Six, or a school that's in a New Year's Six but is on the verge of getting into a playoff. Texas A&M right now is number five, and A&M isn't going to be in the SEC title game because Alabama is going to play Florida. Yeah, it makes me wonder with A&M whether they're trying to hope that you know, when Clemson Notre Dame play again in the ACC championship, do one of those drop below them and they can be one of the beneficiaries of, you know, all of a sudden jumping back into the top four like we've seen in years past. And that, that, that number five spot is always a great spot to be because typically you aren't in the championship game, but you, you are the, you know, the beneficiary of one of those teams knocking each other off in the championship game. But uh, I, I agree. Listen, I think everyone's in play right now. And I think that's the interesting part, probably the tough part for Tom Homo is uh, now that we're so late in the season, now that the college football playoff rankings came out, uh, now you kind of see where everyone's sitting. And, and that's your pitch to everybody to say, listen, we're ranked 14th, and, and you know you beat us, and that obviously catapults you past maybe some teams because the committee obviously shows that uh, strength of schedule is one of the you know, largest um, things that they, they take into account. And so I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I think every conference is in play right now because as we've seen, conferences can change the rules and amend the rules to however it's going to benefit them. And I think that's Tom Homo's pitch right now is saying, listen, I know SEC, you guys, um, you know, didn't do the out-of-conference uh, games, but here's, here's an opportunity, right? And so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But this is, a, this is obviously not where you want to be if you're BYU. I think that's the frustrating part. BYU felt like they'd, they'd done everything they have been asked to do. They went out there and absolutely dominated all their opponents. And, and once again, yeah, they weren't great, but they took care of business. Uh, and and their, their best wasn't good enough. And – that, you know, it's shown through the ranking. So there's still some weeks to be played. Iowa State still has to go play. Um, I think they play Texas. I think that's this week. Uh, and then you've got some other teams. I think uh, um, uh, Wisconsin and I believe it's uh, uh, Indiana have still have to play each other. So there'll be, there'll be some teams that probably lose and, and fall below BYU. But, you know, 14 is not, not where we want to be right now with knowing that to get to that large bid, you got to be basically as high the ranking as possible. There's never any guarantees for an independent like BYU, but obviously the higher ranking, the better, and the, the more likely you get picked up as an at-large. And 14, I think all BYU fans feel a little uneasy. That's not that's not the spot you want to be in. How much do you think the committee just looked at the Cougars this year and saw, ah, the schedule isn't good enough, as opposed to looking, hey, they've got a lot of three-year starters that have got experience combined with talent, and that's the reason why they're doing what they're doing, not the opposition. Yeah, I don't know how much thought went into BYU, frankly. When, when you look at, once again, what, what the explanation was of, of BYU not playing any way schedule and then the Boise State having their – he thought that – he said, I, I think their third-string quarterback was in there. Well, it's actually their fourth-string. Um, but 
you know, I, I don't I don't know how much thought went into it because you could tell how all the ESPN guys were just baffled. I mean, they're they're uh, they're shocked that BYU is that low, and and then you saw the response from the national writers as well, saying clearly these people haven't watched BYU this year. Uh, because I think you're right. Uh, I, I think when you do watch BYU on film and you watch them in the games, you realize this is a dominating team. I mean, this is a team that's pulling their starters at halftime or at the end of the third quarter and still being teams by 30-plus, 40-plus. And so, um, you know, it, it, you, maybe a lot of these guys are waking up and just looking at the score and saying, okay, that's a good score. But it's a whole different deal when you watch this team just completely dominate from start to finish. And so, uh, you know, it's tough. Listen, if you're, if you're a player right now, you're just as frustrated as anybody because, once again, you've lined up to get the schedule that, that, that had to be put in place, that Tom Homo put in place, and you've gone out there and dominated, and you get rewarded with a 14th ranking, uh, which pretty much signifies that you're on the outside looking in at this point. And, once again, there's still a couple weeks to be played. There's still some shuffling that will occur. But the, the taste in your mouth today when you woke up is not a good taste. And I think that's why Tom Homo's calling any, everybody. The problem is, but Cincinnati, you lose any leverage with them because they don't need BYU at this point. Uh, and and then once again, you go to all these other conferences, and and a majority of them have teams ranked above BYU, so they're doing fine. They don't need a BYU, so it puts BYU in a tough spot right now. There's not a lot of leverage to be had, but uh, we'll see if Tom can pull something out of his hat. So you figure Kalani goes for 100 points against San Diego State, the century mark. At the minimum, at the minimum, put up 100. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. How about that interview last night on ESPN? I, you could tell he wanted to rip somebody's head off. And that, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I think BYU fans obviously love Kalani, and the players love Kalani, because you could tell he was doing everything to restrain himself on that call, um, and he did a pretty good job. But you saw him come out and say, we're not scared of anybody. We'll play anybody. And honestly, that's his mentality. I don't think he's trying to posture at all. This is a guy who believes that BYU, especially this year, can match up with anybody in the country. Uh, and we've talked about in weeks past, a lot of it is, uh, it was PK mentioned a second ago, a lot of it is because of the, the team they have. I mean, these are kids that the majority of the team were all freshmen, starting as freshmen. And, and Kalani had to go through those years to try to coach these kids up, and, and he had to go through all the mistakes and, and game-losing interceptions that we saw from Zach Wilson. And, and I think after all those losses, he sat in the locker room and thought, thought to himself, man, here in a couple years, all these guys will learn from their mistakes and we're going to be a great team. And sure enough, here we are in 2020 with that team that he always looked forward to having, and, and you've kind of been get dealt the cards or dealt with this year. And it's just kind of a bummer. And I think that's some of the frustration coming out in him as well, uh, is that he has one of his best teams he's had, probably the best team he's had in Independence, uh, and, and you're stuck with uh, the schedule he's been stuck with, and you can't really prove yourself. And there's nothing really you can do, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing he can do. Obviously, Tom Holmes got to go out there and schedule these opponents, uh, but I think that was kind of his plea yesterday. Listen, we'll play anybody. We're not afraid of anybody. Just sign them up and bring them. And I think that's truly the mentality of this team. The bummer is I'm not sure if they're going to be able to show against a quality opponent, but we'll see. Changing topics a little bit. I mean, it's apparent, isn't it, Mr. Nixon, that Drew Brees has made his last NFL start? <laughs> I definitely would not say that. Uh, listen, that, that was – that was, incredible. It was an incredible game. I mean, uh, uh, I think I mentioned to you guys last week. I was I was heading down there for it, and it, the atmosphere. Even though, of course, in the, in the Superdome, they don't they don't allow I think six or seven, eight thousand fans. There weren't a lot of fans there, but it was fun to be there and, and see when Taysom trotted out there on the field. Uh, just kind of support from the the Saints fans just erupted, and I don't know if you could hear it on the TV, but 
the place was pretty loud cheering for Taysom on his first start. Uh, and then he proceeded to go out there and go 18 for 23. Uh, pretty much a flawless game. He had one kind of short, uh, short hop the ball to, a, to an out route. I joked with him and asked him what happened there, and he said that uh, it just completely slipped out of his hand, which, which obviously happens. And then he had the fumble late, um, which was just him trying to, to, to create a little bit. But other than that, the, the game, I mean, you look at what he's able to do with the play action and, and hit his receivers. Michael Thomas finally got back involved. I think he had 10 catches going in the game. I believe he had eight or nine in the game itself. Uh, and so Taysom's able to feed, you know, their best receiver. And um, he, after talking to him after the game, we, we went over to his house and had dinner and hung out for a couple hours, watched Sunday night football. And, and uh, he said all the, the, his teammates were pretty complimentary after the game and, and pretty supportive. And I think he kind of felt that love. And so it's fun to see that the whole New Orleans, not only the fan base, but also the players themselves kind of rallying around Taysom and realizing he's the guy. He's the guy until Drew's able to come back, which, uh, you know, putting him on IR means Taysom's got to start at least for the next couple of weeks, and then uh, we'll see how quickly Drew can get back. But, uh, man, it was fun. It was fun to see him go out there. I, I know he, you could tell he was re- very relieved as well, but he also said he, go, he said he told us, he goes, listen, I wasn't very nervous. I, I've never felt more confident and more prepared going to a game. And we've talked about this in the past as well with, with Drew. Uh, those guys are up there every single day. Uh, I mean, Drew Brees, a guy that played for 20, 21 years, uh, he, he spends their off day Tuesdays up at the facility basically all day. And, and Taysom is, is pretty much expected for Taysom to be there with them to watch film and go over game plans and things. And uh, I think that's the great thing about being under, you know, second string to a Hall of Fame quarterback is you, you learn how to study and how to be prepared. And, and Taysom felt very confident going to the game, and fortunately it showed. So, <clears throat> David, your former linebacker mentality – how long until they're sitting on all those short routes he completed and making him go down the field, Not, you know, crossing routes, 15, 20 yards, whatever, and also throwing deep balls? Because that deep ball, Sanders came back and made it a completion, but my gosh, that looked awkward. Yeah, that, that one got away from him as well, he said. Uh, just kind of floated on him. Uh, but then he had the one later in the game, there was a touchdown, was called back because of holding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a play, there was a play action where, he had the blitz come in his face, and he slid to his left, slid to his left, bombed some time, and he completed the out route as like a 15-yard out route. So, um, you know, I, listen, the good thing about Taysom, of course he led the team in rushing, which, is, which was ironic, but I think if you go back and watch it, he wasn't looking to run every play. It wasn't like a freshman quarterback in college that they look at their first read, it's not there, and all of a sudden they're escaping the pocket and looking to, looking to create and, and get out of that whole mess, which is the pocket itself, right? I mean – Young quarterbacks tend to like to get out because you don't have all the confusion. You don't have all the hands waving in your face. You don't have guys bearing down on you. They like to be out on the run. But you, you watch Taysom, he sat in that pocket pretty well. He took a couple hits. Um, but, but, of course, when it really broke down, that's when he escaped and he scored a couple touchdowns. So, you know, I, I think he played a p- pretty complete game. Uh, I don't think it was just luck that he was out there uh, dishing out the ball the way he was, he was doing. Um, but – you know, I, I think he, he was able to mix it up. He had some short routes. He had some, like, quick outs, uh, which is what the coaching staff wanted. And then he completed some deep balls as well. So he had, he had kind of a mix, of, mix of everything. It wasn't just throwing three- or four-yard checkdowns all night. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. They, they play much tougher defense this week in, in Denver. I think they're ranked the number 12 defense overall. So he'll have his hands full at Denver. We'll see kind of how, uh, how he performs against them. Well, the bright side is the Saint defense ought to hold the Denver offense down similarly, so it, and I don't think it's going to take 30 points to win the game. Famous last <laughs> words, Yach will now play this, I know. but 
Did yeah, the de- <clears throat> I was going to say, the credit to the defense, eight sacks, it was incredible. I mean, the, the defense definitely helped them out, and that was yeah. fun, to, fun to watch them, put them in good field position and uh, allow them to be successful. But, yeah, fun game. Let's, let's hope you can keep it rolling this week. David, thanks for the time. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care.